0: So uh, my name, if we, we haven't met before, is, uh, is, is Dan. Vic introduced me as DG before, uh, because you know a, a ton of people called Dan, and so DG is just an easy thing to go by. Uh, up until, just by sort of way of introduction, up until April of last year, I was a host on Rima. Uh, I hosted The Breakfast Show, and I'd been there for 10 years. I was interned Dan on Life FM, if you've been around for 10 years or so, and then I was the night show guy, read the news hosted Breakfast on Remer, I did a whole lot of things. And then in April of last year, I started a new job producing talkback at Newstalk ZB. I am the behind the scenes guy to Marcus Lush. If you've seen on Facebook, that clip that went viral around September, October last year about the woman who wasn't sure how to pronounce a certain place name in the South Island. Hundreds of thousands of people watched that video clip. We made it into all of the newspapers. It was all that kind of thing. Marcus is not necessarily known for news conversation and controversy. He is more known for four hours of talk on pies or on roundabouts or on that kind of thing. But when I started on April 1 last year, and this isn't going, by the way. Oh, there it is. That is working. Oh, that's way far forward. Now it's going too well. When I started in, uh, in, in April 1st of last year, there was... A conversation happening in New Zealand that, up until then, had only really been hypothetical conversation. You think about what happened two weeks before April 1st. Two weeks before April 1st, give or take, was March 15. And New Zealand was in the middle of a really important conversation that, like I said, up until then had only really been hypothetical. We'd seen it happen overseas, we'd seen it happen in other parts of the world, and now... What we thought would never happen, but we talked about what would happen if it happened here, had happened here and the conversation of New Zealand was really different. For a, a, a couple of weeks after that, uh, Israel Folau, a former Australian rugby player, posted something on social media, got him in a lot of trouble with a lot of different people, and so that became part of the conversation. Not long after that, it was announced that there would be a cannabis referendum attached to next year's general election, or this year's general election, so that has become a part of the conversation. Not long after that, euthanasia became a conversation, All of these hot button issues have been spread, and that's before you get overseas to things like Brexit and Donald Trump and whatever is happening over the next couple of weeks in the US, and let alone whatever stuff happens across the year. And so I thought, as we head into an election year, and given that it is my job to produce conversation. I wanted to ask a few questions of you this morning. And we're going to do this the the other way around that you'd normally do it. Instead of getting you to put your hand up, if this is a statement you agree with, I'd like you to all put your hand up now so everybody can raise your your hands and then leave it up if the following statement is true. I enjoy the drama around hot-button issues. When politics comes up, you enjoy the drama. See, a year ago, a lot of hands went down, A a, a year ago, My hand would have gone down, but now it's my job to enjoy the drama around hot button issues. Okay, everyone's hand up once again. What about this one? I love to raise the topic of politics whenever I can. Few hands up? Few hands up? Yeah, I'm okay with it. All right, everyone's hands up again. Just got a few more. You're at least getting a workout, and hopefully you showered this morning. I have unfollowed someone on social media because they keep posting about politics. Yeah, I... Totally have done this. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this year you will. What about this one? Everyone's hands up. Whenever politics gets raised, I sit nervously and pray that the conversation ends soon. Whenever, you, maybe you've experienced this just over the Christmas holiday season, you went to the family's place or whatever, and that uncle who always brings up that politician launched into his annual tirade about what's wrong with this country, and that happened. Or maybe it started this year, because it is an election year. It's around the coffee at work, around the water cooler at work, these are the conversations that are happening, and you sit there, and you kind of tense up a little bit, you sort of go, it'll be over soon, we'll move on to something else, let's talk about married at first sight, let's go easy, let's talk about the block, let's go easy, but this is kind of how you feel, all right, there's a few of us who feel this way, last one, everyone's hands up, given how this message has started, I'm sitting nervously, (laughs) praying for it to end soon, all right, here's what I want to say to you. Here's what I want to say to you. And I knew that this was going to be the case because this is unusual. This is uncomfortable. And if you are new here this morning, I'm so glad you are here. This is not a church that talks about politics a lot, but as the former youth pastor of this church, something I said to our teenagers all the time is that church should be the safest place to talk about anything. Can I get a better amen than that? Church should be the safest place to talk about anything, and to those of you who had your hands raised, given how this message has started, I'm praying it ends soon, anything has to include politics. Church needs to be the safest place to talk about the stuff that we don't like talking about, and so I'm borrowing the sentence from my boss, Marcus, let's actually talk about it. Not let's yell at one another about it, not let's just kind of launch Twitter threads into the abyss and rant. Because we have to have these conversations, and there shouldn't be any safer place on the planet than churches. What I'm going to put to you this morning, and if you're here in the room and you're you're a teenager, or you're someone in the room and you're kind of new to church, maybe you're deciding whether or not this following Jesus thing is for you or not. This is going to be one of those things that you get to call us on this year. I want you to call me on this. This the challenge I'm going to put out to you is something that if you're not a Jesus follower, you can do this. I think you should do this. I think we all should do this. And I think you'll agree with me that we should all do this. But where it's going to get a little rough is for those of us who would call ourselves Christians, who would call ourselves Jesus followers, we have to do this. We have to do this. The question is, are you willing, are we willing to put our faith filter up front ahead of our political filter? Are you willing to go my faith first, my politics after? Now, I know what you're thinking, Dan, I'm so glad you brought this up because I'm the only one who does this. I live by this all the time. The reason I am a supporter of the party that I am a supporter of is because my faith comes first, my politics comes second. I'm glad you're bringing this up because those other guys need to hear this. Maybe you're thinking about the person who you need to invite to the 5 o'clock because, believe it or not, I'm going to do this again tonight. And you can invite them along and you can say, look, I, I, you need to come and hear what this guy has to say tonight. I need you to start putting your faith before your politics. We always do this. And you can ask anybody about why they vote the way they vote. And if they wanted to, they could twist the Bible into it. They could, they could bring Jesus into it. If Jesus was alive today, he would support national. Of course he would. Jesus was always right. National is right. Jesus would support national, or because of its values. Jesus would support labor if he was, here, if he was here today. Jesus would support labor because Jesus was a health care and welfare dispensing machine. If there was ever a party that Jesus would align himself with, it would be labor, right? Maybe not. Jesus was a, would, of course, be a supporter of the Greens. Social justice, care for the environment, of course Jesus would be a supporter of the Greens. You can bring Jesus into any side you want. And for ages, since Jesus was on earth, this is what people wanted. They wanted Jesus on their side. Now, in preparing for this, I've done... Quite a lot of research. I have listened to sermons from pastors from all around the world on all different kinds of sides of politics. This is one guy, Tony Evans, he's an American pastor, and he said this Jesus did not come to take sides, Jesus came to take over. Which I think sometimes as Christians we forget that Jesus came to establish a new kingdom that was not of this world, but was for this world. That Jesus did not come to pick a side. Jesus came to take over all of the sides. And he established something that the Apostle Paul, and Paul steps onto the pages of history as someone who hates Christians. After the resurrection, Paul is tasked with stamping out this Nazarene sect. and, And Paul decides he meets a resurrected Savior, and it changes his life. And in all of his letters in the New Testament, you go through and you read, Paul refers to this thing called the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Paul's referring to, you might not have heard of this phrase before, but it's in a couple of his letters. We'll get to it in a sec. The night before he's arrested, Jesus has his closest disciples together. At the Last Supper, you might have heard this story, and Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. And then he says to them, a new command... I'm going to give you. At this point, there were 613 laws, 613 commandments that the Jewish people were living by. Right? This was the law of Moses. So Jesus says, I'm going to narrow this down for you. Not even just to the two, to love God and love others, which is the mission statement of our church, which is great. I'm going to make it even easier than that. One new command, love one another. And then he adds this little caveat, not love one another like you think they deserve to be loved, or not even what you know, they call the golden rule, love others as you would want them to love you. no, 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 no. Take your cue from me, Jesus would say. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. These are the marching orders. This is the law of Christ that Paul refers to. If you read any of Paul's letters, all he's doing is applying this to everything. He's taking your everyday life or the everyday life of the audience that he's writing to and saying, here's how you live this out. Here is how you love one another as Jesus loved me. Here's an example. To the church in Corinth, Paul wrote this. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave, strong language, to everyone so that I might win as many as possible. Anything short of sin, Paul is saying. Anything short of sin, I'm going to do to win you. And he kind of builds us out a little bit. To those not having the law, that's the Torah, to the Gentiles, right, the non-Jewish people, I became like one, sorry, the screen keeps glitching out, I became one. I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from the law of God, which is the law of Christ. So Paul's saying, oh, look, I'm not under the Torah anymore when I'm with these Gentiles. I'm still under God's authority because I'm following the law of Christ, But I'm going to become like a Gentile when I'm with the Gentiles, as I'm trying to bring them into the kingdom of God and introduce them to the person and the miracle of what Jesus did on earth, for earth, for the people of the world. I'm no longer under the law, but I'm under God's law, Christ's law, that I'm to love one another as God through Christ loved me. My favorite version Galatians 6.2, where Paul writes, Carry each other's burdens, and as you do this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. As you carry one another's burdens, as you notice something that is wrong with a friend of yours, and you decide to do something about it, you are fulfilling the law of Christ, which is to love others as Jesus loved you. Not as they deserve it in your eyes, not as you would want them to do unto you, but you take your cue from your Lord and Saviour. And this is I think sometimes where, like, wouldn't it be amazing if this is what the church was known for? That regardless of how we believed about things, regardless of how we saw people behave, what hurt us on the inside, what lit up our conscience, our conscience, was when we saw people in need or in hurt and we carried their burdens. For no other reason than because we want to show the same kind of radical love that Jesus showed to us. This is the law of Christ. This is our marching orders as Jesus followers. And again, if you're not a Jesus follower, then you can call us on this. This is how we are supposed to act. These are the marching orders of the person we call our Lord and Savior. So when this comes to politics when it comes to these kinds of conversations we have to have. Here is the unity. This is the base foundation that all of us start with. And it's, you know, the irony's not lost to me that next week we start a series called Becoming One. Becoming One is not becoming the same. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But this is marching orders. This is the foundation that all Jesus followers have as the law of Christ. Which means when it comes to the disagreement where the politics happens and where we disagree... It's on how we work this out. I'd put it this way. We can disagree on what's best for people, but we can't disagree that what's best for people is what's best. We can disagree that on on the solution to the problem, but we can't disagree that we have to have a solution to the problem. That what's best for people, what is going to show Jesus' love to people, that has to be what we're after. So uh, an example might be poverty, Right? Every political party has an idea on how to solve poverty or how to work on poverty. They'll all have different solutions as to how to go about it. But the thing we as Christians can all be united behind is the cause of eradicating poverty. And you can kind of apply, we all think that life is sacred, that life is precious and is, and is worth living because we are loved. And therefore, we are to show that love to others as Jesus showed love to us. And other political parties will have different views as to how to do that and how to show that. But we all have to agree that what is best for people is ultimately what's best. And where the disagreement comes from and where the tension comes from, even within church, it's not like all Christians believe the same thing comes from this thing called Miles' Law. If you don't know, Rufus Miles was an assistant secretary to three U.S. presidents in the early 20th century, and he, after he retired, he wrote a ton of books that are taught in universities all around the world on building social welfare, on building kind of good societies around the world, and Miles' Law is this, blank screen. Where you stand depends on where you sit. This is Rufus Miles' Law. Where you stand depends on where you sit. What he means by this is that your cultural context, that's where you sit, determines your perspective on where you stand. You might not have thought about this, but you can kind of run the process through. Your political views and your values weren't formed in a vacuum. You didn't just get them. It's the product of the years of life that you have lived. Some of the decisions you have made, some of the decisions that have been made for you your perspective your your context is things like where you were born whether you've stayed where you were born how you were educated whether or not you were educated what kind of l- jobs you've had what sort of lived experiences you've had what sort of experiences you've been told about what sort of stories you've heard all of these things get jumbled together and as you live and as you grow and as you kind of discover and learn new things You build this context that starts to determine your perspective, because your perspective can change. Think about what you believed about stuff 10 years ago, and you change your mind. And that's okay, because your cultural context has changed. You've learned something new, you've experienced something different, you met someone different, and it's kind of brought new things into the light. Controversially, the quote that I think sums this up the best is from someone who's not a Jesus follower in fact, it's one of the most famous atheists of our time. His name is Sam Harris, and he says this, pay attention to the frontiers of your ignorance. I love this phrase. Because whenever you talk to somebody, even if they're a Jesus follower, a fellow Christian, and you talk to them and you come away from that conversation, and I've done this, right, producing talk back, I sit at my desk with my headset on, and I'm slamming my fist on the table going, I do not understand how this person could be so, why why are they following this? And the first thing that you say is the truth. There is something I don't understand. I don't know how anybody could support such a politician. The first thing you said is the truth. There is something you don't know. So pay attention to the frontiers of your ignorance. This means that when James who was the brother of Jesus and I always make reference to that because what would you have to do to believe that your brother was the Lord and savior of you? Like because this was James's story, right? As Jesus was on earth, they're doing his ministry, James thought his brother was crazy. And then James believed in the resurrection of Jesus. And he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And we have a letter from James that has such great truth when it comes to conversation. We should be, if you've grown up in church, you know this, quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That when you listen to people who've had different experiences than you, you might learn something wouldn't that be great? And what I love, being here on the North Shore and being in a church that is so diverse. You're in the greatest opportunity. You're in the greatest place to learn ever. Because in this church, we have nine different generations. We have half a dozen or a dozen or so different ethnicities. We have people who have lived in the same house their entire adult life, and people who moved here weeks ago. We have people who have... Always known what they were going to do with their adult life. They've had the same job, the same career. That's me for eleven years. I've been in radio. It's all I've ever known. I have no idea what it is to be a university student because I never went. I have no idea what it's like to have a a, a relative. Kind of, I don't. I don't think so. Anyway, it's not in my. I can't. Can't. Can't think through. I, I don't really know what it is to have someone um, suffer. Sort of unemployment or, or not really know where their next meal is coming from, because I, I've lived in a house where it's like, well, there was confidence that the plan is set. It's, it's all good. You maybe have never experienced addiction or been in a family dynamic with someone who is an addict, and so you don't know, but you can learn because you are in community, as you get connected. I love that that's the theme for our church for this year. As you get in the face of people who are not like you, because it's really easy to get into the echo chamber. You just ask about the Facebook algorithm, and it just shows you the stuff that you want to see over and over and over again. But you've got to get into people who aren't like you so that you can learn something. Don't let ignorance be what you are known for. Here's why this is really, really important. It's the second half of the law of Christ that I mischievously left out. A new command I give you, Jesus said. You are to love one another as I have loved you. Not like you think they deserve it, not like you would want them to love you back, but as I have loved loved you, so you must love one another. And then Jesus gives us the why. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples as you love one another. This is the salt and light that we get to be in an election year. How we talk about politics, how we talk about these hot-button issues, how we approach one another is how we get to show the world what the church is like, what Jesus is like. We are supposed to influence culture. So your workplace, that person that you vehemently disagree with, that relative that just kind of Always grinds your gears and you don't understand why they say the things they say or why they believe the things they believe. Your call as a Jesus follower is to love them as God through Christ loved you. Because the three best relationships, this is another phrase I picked up at a conference when I was a youth pastor, the three vital relationships for any Jesus follower, intimacy with God, community with other believers, influence with outsiders. And it's the influence with outsiders that we are so quick to lose in an election year. I want you to keep this in mind. And if you're a teenager, as you grow up and you start having these conversations, hold on to this sentence and it could serve you forever. The you beside you is more precious to God than your potentially flawed view. Because God did not come to pick a side. Jesus did not come to pick a side. He came to take over. And it is more important that you maintain a relationship. It is more important that you show God's love than you are right. I think Jesus would say that. A relationship is more important than you just being right. I have flown through this because it's awkward and uncomfortable. In conclusion, should you have an opinion? Of course you should. Of course you should have an opinion. Should you phone talkback to argue your point? Please do. Please phone talkback and argue your point. I love it. I love it. I diver- Honestly, the conversations that we get to have this year are super important. And Marcus says, let's actually talk about it as opposed to you just ringing up and ranting and then hanging up or him just ranting and then hanging up. It's actually, no, let me learn something from you because you're different than me. You're older than I am. You've had a different lived experience than I have. And so I want to learn from you. And maybe you can learn from me because I'm different than you. I'm younger than you or I'm older than you. And you could learn something from me. And maybe we might change each other's minds. And that would be all right. So should you have an opinion? Yes. Should you argue your point? Yes. Should you make a point at the expense of influence? No. Don't give up influence for the sake of a point. Should you burn a bridge? Of course, not. It's not worth it. No relationship is worth a bridge burn. Because you are the marching orders of Jesus, the law of Christ is that you are to love one another as I, Jesus, have loved you. So, this is how I think we actually talk about it in an election year love others. Not as you want them to be loved, not as you think they deserve to be loved, not how you want them to love you back, but love others as Christ loved you. And like I said, to any non Christian in the room, to anybody unsure, this is the reason not to become a Jesus follower because this is really hard, but you've got to call us on this. I want you to call me on this. I think you should be able to be called on this. How are your conversations going? with believers and unbelievers, with the people that you are in community with who might disagree with you and the people who disagree with you because they have different values and different beliefs than you because it's not worth burning a bridge over. Let me pray for us. Then we can have coffee and you can ask each other who you're voting for this year. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that despite whatever chaos is in our world, despite elections, despite whatever kind of conversations that happen, God, you're in control, that you didn't come to take sides, you came to take over. You established a kingdom of God that was for everyone, even me. God, I pray that we would leave this place and that we, we would head into families and communities and into workplaces as salt and light, that we would influence our culture as the church has done for generations, being the conscience of of society. That when we see people in need, that we would go, this is wrong. This needs to be sorted out. God, would you be in our conversations today and every day? It's in Jesus' name that we pray, the King of our kingdom.